The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the editorial team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday, a show about the changing nature of work and how that work is changing us. This episode, we're doing something a little different. We're getting out of the office and headed downtown. We are standing in front of Namwa Tea Parlor, Chinatown's first dim sum parlor since 1920 on the window. Should we head in? Even at 2 o'clock on a weekday, every table is packed. And we're here to meet the restaurant's owner, Wilson Tang. Wait, uh, Susie. Steffi, Steffi. I just want to lower the music a little bit. That's him. Wilson's 40, and he inherited Nam Wa from his uncle a decade ago. For a long time, it was more of a bakery that sold dim sum on the side. As Wilson's uncle grew older, Nam Wa became more of a hangout spot for his friends. Very few customers came by. Wilson modernized the place. First, he started serving dim sum all day. Now he's doing catering, opening other locations, even expanding globally. Next year, Nam Wa turns 100. This episode, I want to talk about family businesses. There are lots of benefits that come with growing up in one. Legacy, tradition, and if you're lucky, a thriving profit engine that already comes with customers. But businesses change. And when you're the boss, it's on you to figure out how. The stakes are high. Get it wrong and you fail not just yourself, but your family. But this story is about a guy who got it right. Before we get into that, though, let's eat. For those of you who have never had this kind of Chinese food, think of it as little plates. There's usually dumplings with some other small meat and vegetable dishes. It's like the Chinese version of brunch. This one is our original egg roll. So this one is our rice roll. Uh, This one is the plain version with sweet soy. So when it comes to these two types of dumplings, I'm glad these were brought out. The restaurant has an old feel to it. The walls are a little faded looking, and there are all these trinkets that line the wall behind the cash register. Wilson's younger cousin Vincent gave me a tour. Nice tea rack over there. That's old school with some really old tea boxes. Uh, We have an old cash register back here. This whole countertop is old. Uh, A lot of old stuff. It's just stuff we found cute, and we thought it would be nice to put in the back here. We get a, the, we, we get the most feedback on uh, these little action figures somebody oh, wow. made for us, these Star Wars action figures. <laughs> yeah, somebody made them for us. He's a, he was a customer here, and he's uh, like, oh, I think this place is really nice. So he's just going to, so he just, he just made a couple of toys for us. This is one of the oldest restaurants in Chinatown, and in 2019, it's pushing out pork buns and egg rolls to a packed room of diners. Even on a Monday afternoon, there's a wait outside. How did Wilson do this? For that, we headed back to the studio. Well, so if someone had said to you at 16 years old, you know, Wilson, the thing you're going to do is grow up to take over your family business, what would you have thought then? I would have thought they were crazy, super crazy, because <laughs> I... I I think for me, like growing up with immigrant parents, my parents wanted me to kind of excel in school and to be able to have like a white collar job, meaning you should go to school, go be a doctor or a lawyer or or even like a pharmacist or something. 
And um, to own my own restaurant and to run my own restaurant, or more specifically a Chinese restaurant in Chinatown, was definitely far from what they would want me to do. And how about for you? What, what would you have wanted you to do? You know, I, I think through my career uh, as a 40-year-old, so I've been working for over 20 years, I've bounced back between the corporate environment uh, to a restaurant environment to management of a, of a restaurant group. I think my path is exactly where I want it to be, and I'm doing exactly the job that I was meant to do in my, in my life. So tell me the story of the restaurant. So we, we actually are the second family that, that has run the restaurant. Uh, my uncle has been working there since the 50s uh, and eventually bought it from the, the previous family, the Choi family, uh, in the 70s. So throughout his kind of um, career and the, like a previous family's career, it was really a hub for the Chinese community. So back, back in the early 1900s, um, Namwa was situated on Dorier Street, which is basically the, the center of Chinatown back then. It was uh, Dorier's, Pell, and Mott Street. So that was where it was a huge Chinese, the, you know, basically an, anyone that was Chinese that was immigrant, was an immigrant, would go to that restaurant to eat because that was one of the first. And it, it, it stayed that way through the early 1900s to the mid, to you know, to the 50s, 60s. And my uncle, during the 60s and 70s, started doing a lot of wholesale, too, out of the space. So he was doing wholesale, like uh, mooncake fillings, uh, wholesale, um, like sticky rice, um, those with the banana leaf. So it's, it's, it's morphed a couple of times. It was still primarily a dim sum place, but dim sum place with a bakery component. So it was never like it is now, like all day dim sum. But I think through the decades, like business kind of obviously fluctuates. Um, So, you know, in the 70s, the wholesale business kind of went down and it went back to more of like a a restaurant setting because um, people in in, in the U.S. or in, in the East Coast were just importing stuff from China instead. And then when 9-11 happened, you know, my uncle was was past retirement age already. He's like, you know what, I'm just going to keep it open and see what happens. And it, it, it turned back into like a, a hub for the, for the community. And that's when like all the movies and all that stuff started to happen. And, and that, was, that was the main income through that time. And um, fast forward to when I was running it, we, we've kind of rebranded it and uh, opened the doors up to, to a huge marketing push. And, and now it's an it's a all-day uh, dim sum location uh, where we're super heavy on tourists during the, during the summer. So I want to go to the point in the story where your uncle decided that it was time to retire. And you were in your late 20s. I mean, you were you were. Just pushing 30. Yeah, yeah. Um, were you the only member of the next generation who was tapped to do this? Like, how was it decided that this was a good idea for you? Yeah, so there was really no one that was interested. You know, just similar to my um, comment to you earlier, the goal of first-generation immigrants was to work hard so your kids don't have to work in a restaurant right. or have to do such labor-intensive work. So I was actually the only one that was interested, like because I've had that I've had that passion for hospitality, and I remember them, my uncle pitching me like, "Hey, you know, like I'm really gonna retire this time. 
um, like, are you remotely interested? We can make it really nice and like jazz it up if you like. But if you if you're interested, like, you should you should take it take it over because I'm out. I'm I'm 80. I'm I'm I gotta go relax. So I'm like, yeah, this is this is my uh, this is my chance. I I didn't hesitate at all. Like I didn't need it to look fancy. Like I liked it just the way it was. At that point, I remember explicitly that I wanted to keep a piece of old New York old. Like that was my intention. Like, hey, this is a really old restaurant. I can kind of make something out of this. And I kept thinking about like that cat's delicatessen in the Lower East Side. I kept thinking about like Russ and Daughters and how these like multi-generation business keep keep going. And I'm like, I want to be that person to like keep this restaurant going. I love hospitality that much. I love working hard. Um, I'm not not so keen to be in an office all day. I, I can do it, but that doesn't really make me happy. So it was a no-brainer for me like to inherit one of the oldest Chinese restaurants in New York and to figure out how to get it into a like, revenue-generating situation again. So it's such a romantic idea, this idea of keeping old New York old and you reference cats, you reference Russ and Daughters. The thing about an operation like that is that there are some aspects that you keep old, and then there are some aspects that necessarily need to change with the time so that you can keep the other aspects old. Absolutely. Absolutely. How'd you figure out how to do that? It was a lot of trial and error. Um, you know, as as the business, um, what, once we reopened, um, luckily, through marketing and luckily through the um, the lens of social media, we were able to attract a lot of old customers that because we are 90 years old, there were a lot of customers that has either been there or when I was in grad school and studying in New York, I've eaten there. Millions of stories, especially for people that moved out of New York that had spent time in New York and have eaten there, we saw like all this influx of old customers coming back just to see the place because, you know, we were we were featured in the New York Times like within within three months of reopening, and like so many customers came back like three generations, four generations deep would all come like so, like from grandfather great grandfather to like the. The, the a baby a newborn like the was it the the great uh great 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 grandson <laughs> yeah grandson or something gosh it's so you know you say that wilson and i think about my own relationship with new york and i've lived here um goodness close to two decades and in the last three or four years a handful of restaurants that i always went to have have closed and that, more than anything else, feels personal to me. It feels like a piece of my community disappearing. And it's making me think how personal and how centered in community our relationship with restaurants can be. Yeah, yeah. It, it's so crazy. Yeah, I, I, I think I know these same restaurants because, you know, it, it's becoming more, it's like difficult to, to really make it in New York. Um, there's so much against you, right? It's, if it's not... Um, labor constraints, it's property tax or rent to just the, the cost of, of, of doing business in New York. It's, it's so high. And the, the, the type of business that I do, it, it's so labor intensive that it's, it's hard to kind of stay ahead. 
And uh, I'm, I'm so lucky to be given this platform to really try to, try to excel. And um, we've, we've done pretty good. Yeah, so why, when it is so hard, and it is so hard to make it, um, as a restaurateur in New York, why is the formula working for Namwa? I think at the end of the day, um, a lot of it has to do with our, with our history. Um, a lot of it has to be um, because we, we work really, really hard to put out a quality product. And um, that, that in itself uh, says a lot. And that's how, you know, you get our, that's how we get our, our repeat customers. You know, we're not the, oh, we saw you in a, in a, in a uh, magazine or something and we came to try it once. We really do have a lot of repeat customers in our neighborhood, especially because we're in a working class neighborhood. Um, you know, during the week, you would see like judges, lawyers uh, from the from the court system come in to have lunch. We're surrounded by banks, pharmacies, offices, and those those are our our customers at lunch. And the weekend, it's it's a mixed bag. You know, every, everyone um, visiting New York for the first time to coming to Chinatown every weekend to pick up groceries. That's our customer on the weekend. So we were very lucky to have this kind of built-in clientele. And, you know, at the end of the day, like our food is is up there in quality. And, and because of how busy we are, the quality doesn't really diminish. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing. New currencies come and go. Decades of savings lost in days. All showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Back at the restaurant, Wilson talked about what it was like being a kid, growing up in Chinatown in the 80s. And he described what happened when things took off. We're talking over a late lunch in a crowded dining room, so it'll be a little loud. You know, I'm a, I'm a I'm an '80s kid, so in the '80s, um, this was this is this was not like this. So Chinatown was a different world, pre Giuliani, a, a lot more like riffraff, um, a lot of like triads and like gangsters. It wasn't as Disneyland as it is now. Right. So back then, it was stay away from here. Um, you know, I I spent very little time in here because my parents, as immigrants, wanted the best for me, and uh, that meant uh, moving to, to Ridgewood at the time. Every weekend we would come to Chinatown, my parents would get groceries, and uh, I would go to Chinese school on Mott Street, and uh, we would just pop in here, say hello to my uncle, and then we're, 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 on our, we're on our way. So my dad was like a Chinatown guy as well. Uh, he, he was a salesperson for a trading company which sold products to Chinese restaurants, so soy sauce, rice. So I, I mean, I, I essentially, uh, through my dad, had, had built up this network of friends and, and colleagues in, in the hood. Wilson went to Pace University and studied finance. For most of his 20s, he worked mostly in banking, but he was interested in hospitality. When his uncle offered in the restaurant, he saw an opportunity. 
He had ideas on how to modernize the way that restaurants serve dim sum. I thought dim sum was very similar to like tapas or like Spanish tapas. It's small plates. It's great with a bunch of people. It's great with some wine, um, a six pack of beer. And those are the things I instituted when we, 10 years ago, um, you know, we, we got our beer and wine license. I brought in like wine consultants to like figure out our wine menu. I knew I wanted like a, a series of Asian beers. And uh, I wanted to be open all day, serving the same menu in the most efficient way possible. Meaning, you know, you just order what you want. It's on a, it's on like a, a sheet. You know, this is what you're left with when you when you walk in, and you kind of just check off what you want. Less talking, more action, and then the food comes to you when you when um, when you hand the ticket to the to, to the guy or gal, and they they send it in the kitchen and they they, they prep the food. His ideas worked. Pretty soon, Namwa had lines out the door. His real success began, though, when he began thinking of the business as more than a restaurant. But it's morphed into this kind of empire, or, or, or the, the, words, the, the word that is used is, oh, it's a brand. And to me, it was, it's just my family restaurant. It's a restaurant, but it's, it's like a brand now. Like, oh, okay, all right, so let's work on this brand thing. Uh, which is what we're doing, and uh, even like we, you know, we, we touched on merchandise, and you know, I in the beginning I'm like, oh, um, yeah, we need like a shirt for like staff, and our customers would come in asking for those shirts. It was literally like a polo, you know, with a collar and like our logo. They would try to like get our staff to sell them the shirt off their back, and I'm like, that is so bizarre, and like. You know, what we ended up doing was like, okay, so we kind of listened to our customers and like, all right, we did one t-shirt and then we did another t-shirt and then we started doing t-shirt collaborations and then now it's like a thing, you know, like now we have, you know, we have a t-shirt that we did a collaboration with, uh, with this brand called Rowing Blazers. They make like rugby's. Yeah, I've seen it. But, you know, they were selling our, it's basically their t-shirt with our sto- picture of our storefront on it. It was 50 bucks, and that was mind-blowing for me. So in the studio, I wanted to know more about his approach to managing the business. Well, so you've been doing this for 10 years now. Yeah, yeah, it's been Uh, 10 years. Next year will be the 100th anniversary of the restaurant, the original restaurant. Was there a time during those 10 years where you worried that it wasn't going to work? Yeah, um, there was times that, that I thought that just because we weren't able to kind of keep up with the demand. So the product that we make is very labor-intensive. A lot of it requires a skill set that it's very hard to learn. It's like making these dumplings by hand, hand pleating the, the skins. Um, you know, the, the, the cuisine that we're in, dim sum, the literal meaning is a touch of heart. It really requires like a lot of heart and dedication to perfect this craft. So, you know, I I don't have a dim sum background, and I was worried. You know, like if I if I can't make this stuff fast enough, what's going to happen? Or if I don't figure out how to manage a team well enough, what if they all leave? Uh, so, tell me the story of how Namwa went from being. One restaurant in Chinatown to being the global company that has become. Yeah, so I I think during the scaling process, uh, when we when I finally made my, my mind that 
our kitchen has we've we've outgrown our kitchen in, in as far as production and refrigeration space and we needed to move into like a secondary kitchen uh, to make more stuff and f- work on our logistics on getting the 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 product into the back into the restaurant and in 2015 um, I was watching YouTube and just kind of talking to my mentors about how to scale this unique type of business model, which is a lot of handmade dumplings or like, you know, which require a lot of like a, a, a particular skill set. And I was brought to using automation. And when we entered into automation, uh, meaning we, we now have dumpling robots that can kind of push the, the filling into a skin and kind of form the shape of it to, so it looks like a dumpling. We brought those in from Taiwan and um, I'm one of the first restaurants to really be using technology like that for our own use. Typically, these are machines that are used for to make dumplings for like Costco or like it's going to be in some supermarket aisle. But we, we brought on that technology very early on in 2015 as, as one of the first restaurants to do so. And now I opened up to other problems like now I have these robots and that can make all this product. I have to find a place to put them. And now I need almost more restaurants to exhaust the product to make that manufacturing location profitable. So is the challenge with the robots that they spit out dumplings faster than you can sell them? Right. So they they do it so much faster that I have to take into account on storage of them and how how do we use them fast enough so that our our stock is rotated correctly and you know everything is still fresh. So that almost meant I needed to open more locations. So we, we then we did Philly, and then we did, um, you know, our satellite location in Nolita. And for our listeners, Nolita is a couple minutes away from Chinatown in downtown Manhattan. So does the Philadelphia Namwa look a lot like the one in Manhattan? Yeah, so it looks very similar, but it was painfully hard to make it feel the same. It looks the same, but it doesn't have that patina that when you walk in, it, it feels like an old restaurant. It looks like the original uh, Namwa with the red boots and, the, and the, the color paint and like the mid-century chandeliers of sorts. But it, it doesn't have that word that comes to mind is patina. It doesn't feel old. But it, Wilson, it looks, is it that like... because you haven't been a 10-year-old walking into that restaurant? I mean, this is like, would I notice it? Uh, maybe not as me, as as much as me, but, um, yeah, we work super hard to like make it look the same, but it still looks like a newer restaurant to me. So, you know, you just can't fake the, the history or the, the age, uh, sometimes. And, um, you know, we, we opened that and um, it, it does well. It's it's also in a, in the Chinatown community. It's a, it's in the outskirts of Chinatown in Philadelphia. So all the synergies are are there. And um, you know, opening that, opening up our fast casual location in Nolita, really kind of put our um, it put our kitchen operation. It made it a lot smoother because now we've become a logistics company. We just kind of have to make sure the product is split 
accordingly uh, to each location. Well, so Wilson, going back to your life. Yeah. Does your uncle come for dim sum? He actually does. Um, lately, he just calls in and ha- have it made and like brought back to him because it's just been that busy at the restaurant. But he's super proud of the success of it. He's super proud that his legacy lives on. And, uh, you know, what I can say is hopefully it lasts another 100 years. But, you know, I definitely don't want to work that much longer. And I'm, <laughs> and hopefully I can find a successor to me to uh, run it in the future. Well, you have a son and you have a daughter. Yeah. Family-owned businesses can be so challenging over the course of generations because with every generation that it carries on, there is even more pressure for the next generation to mm-hmm. pick up the torch. Yep. How do, you, how do you talk to your own kids about it? What we've done, uh, my wife and I, is just kind of introduce them into the restaurant. So we're there frequently. Like, you know, we live, they go to school in very close proximity. So I want them if, you know, they're not working in there yet, uh, but I want them to know what dad does day to day. And like, we walk them in all the time. And just so they can see it, I kind of want to give them a platform, similarly how I was given this platform to to be successful. And it would be their choice at the end of the day. Like, hey, I I went to school, college, you know, it wasn't necessarily the best for me, but they can have that choice. Like, hey, you can kind of work here and do what dad's doing or go to school. And like, like right now, Lucy's like super into like art and drawing. So maybe she wants to be an artist. That's cool too. Um, but I wouldn't, I would never put the pressure on them to take it over. I think as, you know, as a second generation uh, family owned business, you know, I can potentially see myself kind of scaling this to a couple more stores and package it and and sell it to somebody for for millions of dollars. So I wouldn't put that stress on them, but I do want to do this at least for another 10 years and see where I can take it. And if they're remotely interested, great. Mm-hmm. We, we Let's work together into um, figuring out what the next generation can do. Or, you know, my cousin's been running the show a bit and he, I'm kind of passing the torch on to him right now and you know he can kind of be the intermediate person between me and potentially my kids or when he, when he gets married and he has kids or something but uh, we've got some time and um, we'll, we'll see how it goes well it occurs to me there's so much that changes from generation to generation when it comes to business what stays the same Similarly to how my uncle was passionate about his craft, and although I have way more doors open for me with with technology these days, um, staying passionate is, at the end of the day, the, the, the most important because without that, there's no purpose. You know, like we were talking about before, like restaurants are hard. Uh, what, what, is the, what is the landscape going to look like in five years, in 10 years? And how will we pivot into, you know, is it wholesale we're going to go into? Because like we are scaling into doing wholesale or is it just doing less for myself? Like, you know, we have a, we have, we now have a restaurant in China, in Shenzhen, which is a license deal where they, they, they're, they're in control of that store. Like I don't have control, but 
you know, they have our intellectual property and like our recipes and our branding and so so on and so forth. And maybe it's going into that that route or pivoting into that instead of me opening my own restaurants. So there's a lot to consider, um, but only only time will tell because I, I don't even know which direction is the best for me now. Well, you know, you began our conversation by saying something along the lines of, of course I'm doing this. I have to be doing this. It was as if you were talking about this business as your calling, your vocation. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. So so was there a difference between a career and a vocation? They're very intertwined for me. Like this is, this my vocation is my career. <laughs> well, it's a pretty nifty thing when those yeah. things align. Yeah, I mean, when all the stars align, it is, it is great. I mean, what more can I ask for? You know, like I've, I've, you know, we have a, we have a, a great restaurant, a great story. Uh, we're in multiple locations. We're we're overseas. How funny is it that a, you know, that I, I'm I'm the owner of a, a Chinese restaurant brand, or more more specifically, a American Chinese restaurant brand that now has a location in China, where all of this kind of really started, and we were seeked out in China for this Chinese American brand. So I'm telling you, and anything can happen. <laughs> that part is really good. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming in. Oh yeah, it's my pleasure. This was, it's always fun. That was Wilson Tang, owner of Namwa Tea Parlor. If you want to check out their food, they have locations in New York, Philly, and more on the way. Family businesses are unique. To some, they bring both legacy and opportunity. For others, they're a challenge and a responsibility. So I want to hear your stories. Have you chosen to go into your family's business or maybe made the opposite choice? If so, drop us a line at hellomonday at linkedin.com or post on LinkedIn using the hashtag hellomonday. And join us next week. I'll be talking to actress Laura Linney. Earlier this year, she was nominated for an Emmy for her role in Ozark. No matter what you do, if it's creative, chances are you got to balance planning it out and doing it on the fly. Laura Linney had this to say about it. I've learned to prepare as much as I can for each thing that comes my way and then throw it all out the window and walk into a room and be open to something else. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. The show is produced by Laura Sim. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Dave Pond is our technical director. Maya Mangini is our editorial program manager. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Editing help this week from Victoria Taylor and Susie Jackson. Our music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. We also featured music by Poddington Bear. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. See you next Monday. Thanks for listening. This one is our original egg roll. So my uncle, he swears he invented it, you know, egg roll, like you have eggs and you roll it. He's like, I'm like, all right, all right, Uncle Wally, sure. I'll, I'll go with that. We'll, we'll, we'll work on the marketing on that. <laughs>